Well, today we're going to talk about our mission statement that we have for our church. And our mission statement is heavenly effective through earthly relevance. Heavenly effective through earthly relevance. And uh, we've had this statement for a number of years. And uh, I think the last time I really spoke about it was about four years ago or so. So I wanted to review it with us today. And we all know that Billy Graham just passed away this past week, almost 100 years old. And uh, what, a, what a man of God and what an example of, of a man leaving a legacy. Amen. Amen. Our heavenly effective through earthly relevance mission statement was kind of exemplified in Billy Graham's life. Now, was the man perfect? No. Did everything he do, was it right on the mark? Probably not. But he left a legacy. So what does it mean to be heavenly effective through earthly relevance? We want to talk about that today because there's a lot that we can gain and we can learn of what it means to be heavenly minded at the same time being our feet firmly planted on this earth that we walk in. But before we jump into that statement, I need to talk a little bit more about heaven and we need to understand a few more observations about what it means to be in heaven. First of all, the first thing is it may be everyone's goal to make heaven their eternal destination, but what are they doing today to be sure that it is? You might go down the street and ask people, are you going to heaven or hell? And they say, I'm going to heaven. Well, but what are you doing to make sure you're going to get there? Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. But yet everyone says, I'm going to heaven. So who's right, the Bible or people? <laughs> Every, if you talk to everybody, they're all going to heaven, but the Bible says only a few will actually find it. Now, why is that? What makes one road wider than the other road? Why is there a narrow road and a wide road? What's the difference? Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it gives us a clue. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone. Only the ones that do what? The will of the Father. So maybe there's a clue there. Maybe the difference between the wide road and the narrow road is the people that are on the narrow road are doing the will of the Father. And the ones on the wide road are doing whatever they will. Big difference, isn't there? I think the wide road is, is widened by all the professions of being like Christ, but yet not willing to submit to the will of God. There's a lot of people professing Christianity, but how many of them truly are submitting to the will of the Father? And I think that the wide road is getting wider because there are people trampling the edges of the will of God and they're still thinking about that they're going to be in the will of God, but maybe they're on the outskirts. So how far can I get from the will of God and still be in the will of God? There's a saying that says that one may not live what one professes, Yet one will live what one believes. One may not live what one professes, but one will live what you believe. 
Do you see the difference between profession and believing? Professing is I'm talking about it. I'm claiming it. I'm talking about it. Believing is actually putting into, into practice what you're talking. Professing is talking. Believing is putting it into action. So the narrow road is kept narrow because people are submitting to the will of God and the will of God is narrow for them because the will of God is pointed and, and, and very poignant. It's right there on the mark. And so we stay on the narrow road because we're staying in the will of God. But the, will, the road widens when we start getting on the outskirts of the will of God and we start trampling on the shoulder of the road. And the more people that walk on the shoulders, the shoulders get more trampled and the wide road gets wider and wider and wider. And the, when I'm in the middle of the road, I'm pretty sure I'm going to stay on the destination. When I get in the wide road, the little turnoffs, the exits become a lot easier to get onto. And before long, I'm on an exit. And I don't even realize it necessarily because the road's so wide, I don't even know where the middle is anymore. That's the danger of the deception of the enemy because he's on the road too. And he is trying to take as many off the road as he can get. That's his plan. Does that make sense? The second thing I want to talk about heaven, for those that are making heaven their eternal home, it's important to understand that not everyone's heavenly experience will be the same. Now, what does that mean? Even though we all go to heaven, our experiences in heaven will be different. That's interesting. Now, what are some things in heaven that are going to be the same? Well, everyone will experience the all-encompassing love and acceptance of the Father. Everyone will have the love of Jesus, the love of the Father. Everyone will experience the joy, the happiness, the health, the peace, and every other good attribute of the goodness of God. Everyone will have equal access to the Father. Everyone will be able to go into the throne room, whatever they feel. Everyone will have the opportunity to spend time with Jesus. There will be no distinction among that. And there's a bunch of other things that are going to be the same that we're going to experience. But there are some things that are going to differ in our experiences. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 through 9 tells us why these things will be the same for the most part. It says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Thank the Lord that, we get, that we're, that we're um, given access to heaven's gates by the grace of God and not by our works. Because I would really hate to have to listen to you bragging all eternity about how good you were. You know how tiresome that would get to hear everybody bragging about how good they were on earth forever and ever and ever? I mean, that would not work at all well at all. So thank the Lord that we're not getting there by our good works. Thank the Lord that it is by grace that we're getting there and grace alone so that no man can boast. That's why we'll have equal access to the Father. That's why we'll have so many things that will be equalized. Because no man will be greater because how they got to heaven. They got to heaven because of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Amen. So then where do our, where do our experiences differ? What brings the differences? Well, I don't have time to go into great detail today on rewards. 
because we could spend a lot of time talking about rewards. But I will read this verse. Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. They're going to, so Christ is going to come, and he's going to take us all to heaven, and then he's going to reward each person according to what they have done. Now, I'm doing things different than you're doing things. Our, 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 our works are different. And I think this may be one of the clearest verses of all that describe that there will be a level of rewards in heaven. Why would Jesus tell us that he will reward us according to what we have done if there won't be different levels of rewards based on what we've done? If it's all going to be the same reward, why would he tell you then you're going to be blessed or you're going to be rewarded based upon what you've done if they're all rewards are the same? So I think it's pretty clear that there will be levels of rewards in heaven that will go beyond just the joy of being there. Even though that's the greatest joy is just seeing Jesus face to face. All right, so let's keep moving on. Another, another important point as we're talking about our mission statement to be heavenly effective through earthly relevance is this, is that the heavenly effectiveness part is a result of all the accumulation of all the rewards that are going to be stored up in heaven when you get there based upon all the things that you're doing today. In other words, God is a great record keeper. And he understands and he can keep all the things in order from day one of your salvation through the last day of your life about all the things that are worth rewarding. He's keeping them in store and you're laying up your treasures based upon what you're doing here. He's keeping track of it. I don't have to. Thank the Lord, I don't have to. Because if I had to keep it, it would be a bragging session for me. It would become an opportunity for me to start listing how good I am and I would forget the fact that I'm saved by grace because I would be focusing on all the good things that I'm doing. No, by the fact that he's going to keep rewards, that means that he's going to keep record. That means I don't have to worry about it. I just keep living for Jesus every day and I just keep doing the things that I'm supposed to do day after day, moment by moment, and I don't worry about that. I know that he's got it all taken care of. I just keep living for Jesus. But I keep storing things up. And that's the beautiful thing. I keep storing things up. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Don't worry about somebody getting your reward in heaven because God's got it under lock and key and nobody's going to take it away from you. Nobody's going to sneak in front of the line and get your reward because God's got it taken care of. And here's the thing I want to make sure. Remember, remember, remember that we are not working for our salvation, but we are working as a result of our salvation. Because I'm saved, I am doing good works, not to earn my salvation. So let's not let the enemy bring in any type of that kind of the twisted theology, because that's not right. I am not working for, I am working as a result. I'm working because I'm saved, not as a way to get saved. Very important that we always recognize that point. And we just listened and watched the tribute to Billy Graham. And, I mean, there's a lot of good preachers out there and things, but, you know, Billy was a cut above. I don't think we can give him too many accolades. 
And I can imagine that he is getting a warm welcome in heaven. I got to imagine that there's a lot of angels, a lot of people that have, are meeting him in heaven, thanking him for his message. That's really cool to think about that. But there's a couple of things I want to talk about this too, about rewards in regards to Billy Graham and so forth. First thing, there's no question that Billy Graham has left a huge legacy here on earth. A huge legacy. He has accomplished more than any single evangelist probably has ever accomplished in reaching millions of people. But the reason that he has such a good legacy is because he's been working on it all of his life. Forty-some years, 50 years or so in ministry, he's been working faithfully at developing and leaving a legacy. He didn't wait till he was 95 to start. Amen? So the, the reason that he could leave such a legacy is because he was faithful for all those years. We need to learn that a legacy that we're going to leave is going to be based on our track record of actually what's happened not on what I wanted to do, not on what I intended to do, but on what I did. My legacy, good or bad, is going to be based upon what I did. It's the believing part. It's the putting in the practice part of my life. So if you want to leave a legacy for the Lord, then it's up to you to get busy doing the things that are going to be accomplishing that legacy, again, not to earn your salvation, but because you're so thankful that you are saved, because you're so grateful that the Lord has looked upon you with a a graceful heart and graciousness and forgiveness that he saved you, I just want to work for the Lord now. I just want to work, and I just want to work hard so that others can have that same experience. That's why we do it. Second thing I want to talk about this is we really don't know, even though we know there are going to be levels of rewards, We really don't know who is going to be rewarded more in heaven when it comes to us. I don't know how big your reward's going to be compared to my reward. See, here's the question. As Billy Graham goes to heaven and he's getting rewarded for all of his public works and all the accolades that he'd done while he was here, I don't know if Billy is going to be rewarded more, Billy Graham rewarded more than Floyd Graham is going to be rewarded. Now, for those that have been around here a while ago, you know who Floyd Graham is. Floyd Graham was our janitor. Floyd Graham was about this tall, and we all know the the cartoon Popeye. Floyd was Popeye. I mean, he had the little beard. There you go. Thanks, Tom. He, he had the little beard, and he looked like Popeye. And Floyd was one of those guys that would do anything anybody asked of Floyd. He was an amazing person. Who knew Floyd? Was, am I exaggerating at all? No, Floyd was just and a great guy. But Floyd loved to be the janitor. Floyd loved to sweep the floors. Floyd loved to do things that nobody knew about. In fact, if you tried to give Floyd any credit, he would be embarrassed and he would walk away and he said, don't talk about me. So I'm not sure right now in heaven, and I know Floyd is in heaven because just a few years ago he passed away and I was with him when he took his last breath at his house in in Atwood. But I don't know who's getting more rewards today, Floyd or Billy. I don't know. But I do have some ideas 
that I think that they're both getting rewarded and are both getting great rewards. But just because whatever Billy Graham did on the outside doesn't mean that Floyd did on the inside was any less significant. Do you know that? Do you realize that? It's not what you do in public. It's what you do in secret. Matthew chapter 19, verses 27 through 30. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What, will, what then will be there here for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, or the new heavens and the new earth, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who, and here, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much as and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. That's the great economy system of God's heaven. He is the righteous judge and he understands and sees and records appropriately. So who, who's first? I really don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's Floyd. Or I wouldn't be surprised if it's little gray-haired grandma that she was an intercessor and she prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and never did anything public. Ah, she may be the greatest in heaven for all I know. But I got to think it's probably not the people that we think. And that should give you great joy and great peace and great hope. So we are going to be judged. But we're not going to be judged on basically who we think. In other words, let me tell you why. Let me give you scriptural references. Turn in Matthew chapter 6. God will reward every person for that way, for the way that that person used the gifts that God gave them, not the gifts God gave somebody else. The reason that Floyd Graham will be, gift, will be giving rewards in heaven is because he used the gifts that God gave him. He didn't try to use Billy's gifts. And Billy didn't try to use Floyd's gifts. You use your own gifts to the best that you can do, and that will give you rewards in heaven. And how we do them is very important. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their full reward. And then verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So what's the trend here? The trend is what you're doing to be seen by other people, and when they say, good job, if you're doing it for the wrong reason, then that's your reward. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got a lot out of it because that's all you're going to get. But when you do things in secret, remember the Lord is the great record keeper and he will give you great reward. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So let's go back and let's review our mission statement in this church. The mission statement says, to be heavenly effective through earthly relevance is a statement that is meant to encourage the believers in this church to live a Christian life of earthly relevance that will create a heavenly effective result. That you're keeping your eyes focused on heaven, but yet you're engaged in earthly events. And we're going to talk through that a little bit more. I think the goal that all of us have is Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. 
talking about um, the master's reply to the, uh, to the people that he gave the gifts to of uh, stewardship. He says, his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Isn't that what you want to hear? Seriously. Is there anything more that you would rather hear than Jesus say, Well done. Put your name in there. Well done, Bonnie. Well done, Max. Well done, Jim. Well done, Brandon or whoever, Mike. Put your name in there. Well done. Good job. Now, come on in. I've got some things to share with you. Oh, what a great day. What a great day. So let's break this statement down a little bit. Heavenly. Heavenly. What does it mean to think about heaven? First of all, heaven is the main point of the mission. If we're not keeping heaven the main point, then we're going to be off in the weeds someplace. We're identifying our desired end destination. Then we're going to work backwards to how we're going to get there. And what are, we going to get, what are we going to get when we get there? Heaven is our destination. So if we're going to talk about heaven, we need to talk about hell. You can't talk about heaven if you don't talk about hell. Right? They're hand in hand, one or the other. There's no third area. There's no gray area here. You're, you're either in heaven or you're in hell when your last breath is taken. Instantly. You either go to heaven or you go to hell. There's no purgatory. There's no place where you can kind of hang out where people can pray you in. It doesn't happen that way. The Bible's very clear. You're either in heaven or you're in hell. John chapter 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Wow. So the question we have is, where do you want to spend eternity? You're going to have an eternity to spend. So where do you want it? Every man is going to have an eternity to spend. The question is, where do you want it? And what do you want when you get there? I'm convinced more and more that we are a generation of people that are concerned about how long we're going to live more than where we're going after our lives are over. I think the enemy has done a really, really good job of deceiving us into being more worried about our IRA and our 401k than about our eternity. Am I going to have enough for retirement? Have I put away enough that I can enjoy my 70 and 80 years where I can go on the golf course or buy my big boat and do all those things? Have I put that away so that I'm secure in my retirement years? But how many of us, how many of the people in the world are concerned about what happens when you close your eyes the last time. Uh, when we focus on how long I can live more than, more than on where I am going, that's a dead-end street. No pun intended. But how long has an ending point? Because when I get to that point of being how long, whatever I was going to do has been completed. How long is an ending point? But where I'm going, on the other hand, is never ending. Where I'm going has no ending point. Because where I'm going is a place that's going to continue on and on and on. Whether I'm heaven or hell, it's going to be ongoing forever and ever. That's how, when we're made in the image of God, that's one of the attributes in that we're eternal beings at that point. I had a beginning, but I'm never going to have an ending. My soul is never going to die. So where I'm going is much more important to me than how long I live. As Billy Graham said, the moment that Billy Graham dies is the moment that he's more alive than ever. 
Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what it's going to be like when you take your first breath of eternal air that you will be there forever and ever and you will be in the presence of God? You're not, you don't think you're alive then? I mean, I'm alive now, but I really, I have a backache, you know, and my eyes aren't as good as they should be and I got other kinds of stuff going on, you know, and I'm alive, but I'm not really alive until I don't have any of that stuff. Amen? The question is, where are we going to spend eternity? Heaven or hell? All right. So what do we do with heaven? What do we do with it? Well, we do a number of things about he- with heaven right now. First of all, we think about heaven continually. Can I just encourage you to think about heaven continually? Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things. Our minds should be more talking or thinking and dwelling on heaven than the bills I have to pay this week. My mind should be set on heavenly things, not on what I'm going to be eating for dinner today. Not to say those aren't important. I'm not saying that. But I said it, when I, if I'm going to read God's word and believe it, then I have to be um, true to it. Set your minds on things above. All right, so we should set our minds on things. We should, we should be consistent in that we should be uh, diligent in putting our mind and our efforts there. We can waste a lot of time on earthly things. Even if they're good things, we can waste a lot of time playing games, can't we? We can waste a lot of time that are doing nothing for the kingdom, nothing for my eternity that's going to burn up. So that's when I set our minds on something, I'm going to then train myself to do the things, too, that are eternal. That leads me to the second thing. We need to work for heaven. We need to work for it. I know some people would say, well, now, Mike, you're making it a matter of works again. No, I'm not making it a matter of works, but I'm making it a matter that we have to work for it. We have to work for heavenly things, not to get to heaven, but for when we get there. Colossians chapter 3, just go down a few passages in that same chapter it says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Very clear instruction here that no, whatever you do, no matter what it is, if you're sweeping a floor, or if you're singing a song, or if you're Billy Graham in a football stadium of 50,000 people, Work for whatever it is, work for it with all your heart as if working for the Lord or as if you're cleaning a bathroom. It doesn't make any difference. There's nothing wrong with working for an eternal reward. I want you to understand that. There's nothing wrong with recognizing the fact that you're working for an eternal reward. And don't think that's selfish. Don't think that that is all about you. Because the moment that it becomes about you, you've lost your reward. So make sure that you understand that when you are working for God, you are working for the betterment of people. And knowing that you're going to get a reward, maybe what you do is you just put that in the back of your mind a little bit. Don't make that your, your, your thinking point. Just know that when you are effective on earth, working for people, your relevance on earth, you're just, putting, you're just laying things away in heaven that are going to be there for you when you get there. I just know that. Just know that, but don't worry about it. 
The third thing we're supposed to do is we're supposed to get excited about heaven. Get excited about it. And then plan on it. Get excited. We read in Matthew chapter 6 already about do not store up your treasures on earth, but put your efforts into storing up treasures in heaven. For you, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You get excited for your treasures, don't you? A treasure can be defined as whatever is valuable to you. That's your treasure. You get excited about what your treasures are. So get excited about laying them in heaven. Get excited about it. It's okay to be excited about heaven. Jesus wants and desires our hearts more than anything else, just so you know that. So it's okay. It's okay. So what does it mean then to be effective? We've talked about earthly, now let's talk, or heavenly. Let's talk about effective. Effective means that we're producing a decided, decisive, or desired result. Then we're ready for action. We're ready for service. Being effective means that we are understanding our role and what we're supposed to be doing here to be the best that we can. See, to be effective is important to me, it's important to you. And you don't have to do what I do to be effective. And I don't have to do what you do to be effective. You just do what you're called to do. You just do what God has placed in your heart. Do that to the best you can, whatever it is, and and you're effective. Don't duplicate another man's ministry. Don't duplicate another person's gift because it will only frustrate you. It will only frustrate people when you start thinking you've got to do something what everybody else is doing to be effective. No, that's not it at all. You just do what God's called you to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Whatever it is, if you're working what the Lord laid on your heart to do, if it's making uh, a food for somebody that's, uh, that, that's, that can't get out of their house, if you're interceding for people, if you're helping them in any way, do it as unto the Lord because your work is not in vain. Whether you see the result and outcome that you want or not is not important. It's not about what you see if you get what you want. It's about the fact that you're doing it with a heart for the Lord. We have to choose to want to be used. We have to choose to want to be used. Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. You see that? God searches the mind and he rewards the man according to what he has chosen to do. My conduct, I'm in charge of my conduct. There's lots of things in life that I have no control over. But the way I act, I'm responsible. When I was in fourth grade, I got in trouble for uh, being a cut-up in class. Now, I know you don't think that I ever did anything wrong, and I can understand that. Misty, why did you laugh? (laughs) But in reality, I wasn't always the best kid. And so I got in trouble, and so the note went home to my dad that I was in trouble in fourth grade, and I can remember this like it was yesterday because it had such an impact on me. My dad said, Mike, we're going to go to the teacher, and you're going to apologize because of what you did. And he said this. He said, Mike, I can't make you be smart, but I can make you behave. <laughs> and so my dad did. He, if you knew my dad, you knew my dad would do that. And he marched me down there, and I had to talk to Mrs. Bacon. But I had to look at her in the face, and I said, I'm sorry. So I am responsible for my conduct. 
you are responsible for your conduct. And therefore, we will, we will be rewarded according to as our deeds deserve. But here's the thing. I can't do all this on my own. And thank the Lord I'm not. The Lord just hasn't given me the charge to go be good and then he says, then left me to try to figure it out. No, he's given me a thing called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is my paraclete. He is the one that helps me to do what I need to do when I can't do it on my own. Philippians chapter, six, uh, chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day that Jesus comes back. He's doing it. He's given us the power. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives us the ability to do the things. It's not about me. It's about me surrendering my life to Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to come in to give me what I need to do to get things done. So we're, we're to be heavenly effective. We've talked about heaven. We've talked about what it means to be effective, our responsibilities. Now let's talk about earthly relevance for a few minutes. I don't know the time slipping by. Let's define earthly. Earthly is, is associating with the people that we come into contact with on a daily basis. This isn't talking about our flesh, man. We're talking about earthly now, talking about being relevant to the people around us. We're giving a responsibility to be relevant to the people that we come in contact with. The greatest example that I can think of is told in a story in Luke chapter 10 about the Good Samaritan. And I'm not going to take the time to read it, but we all know the story, right? This man is going on a trip, and he gets beaten up, and he left on the side of the road for dead, robbed and beaten up, and he's bloody and almost dying. And three people go, go by him, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. The priest and the Levite look at him and say, oh, the man's hurting, but they go around him on the out. They, they get as far away from him as they can because they have good reason. They don't have time. They're busy. Their schedules are too busy. They're on a mission. They don't have time to stop for whatever reason. And the Levite says, I can't go because I'm a, I'm a Jewish Levite, and if I touch him, then I'm unclean, and I've got to go through rituals again, and I just don't have time to do that. So see you later, buddy. Good luck. And then this Samaritan, this half-breed that comes along that is really a, a no-good person. He's an outcast. He comes and he takes care of the man. All right? We know that story. Who is the neighbor? Who is your neighbor? That's what this parable event is trying to get to us to understand what earthly relevant means. We're earthly relevant. We are relevant to those people around us. Whether they are above us or below us, whether they are, who doesn't make any difference who they are, we're relevant to them. We need to be relevant to them. What does relevance mean? Well, relevance is de- defined as the, is, is the matter that's important at hand. Whatever is at your hand right now, that's relevant. Whatever is the next thing you're supposed to do, that's relevant. And that's to be practically and socially, socially acceptable. You know, it's not the job of the pastor. It's not the job of the person in charge of the benevolence ministry. It's not the charge of the person that is the most gifted. No, we're all to be relevant to the people around us. There is no buy here. So to be earthly relevant would mean that I am a person that is looking for people and I am doing the things as the Good Samaritan as we're instructed to, as Jesus told them, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Do the thing that the, that the Samaritan did. So to pull all this together, to be heavenly effective through earthly relevance means that if we are expecting to hear Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful, if, that, if that's your goal, if you're expecting to hear that, then we must be good and faithful today. I can't expect him to say something that I'm not today. So if you want him to say that, what do we have to do? Be good and faithful. Yeah. 
Yes, C.S. Lewis uh, made this observation in, uh, in one of his writings. And I'd, let me just quote this. C.S. Lewis says, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. What a great quote. You know, I've heard it and you've heard it too. The old saying is you can be so heavenly minded you have no earthly value. Well, I will tell you that it's totally false. Because if you really truly have a heavenly mindedness, you will be earthly relevant. If you truly understand what it means to be in heaven and what, you're, what heaven's going to be about, then you will be motivated to be more earthly involved with people's lives. You, this is not going up to the mountaintop and waiting for the end to come. This is not sticking your head in the sand because you don't want to see reality. No, if you're truly thinking about heaven, if you truly understand what heaven's about, then it will be no problem for you to help your neighbor. It'll be no problem for you to give in the offering. It'll be no problem for you to look down to that person that's not as, uh, in, in such a good position as you are and you'll lift them up. 1 Timothy six seventeen through 19. This is the last passage I'll read today. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. A great summary of what it means to be earthly relevant. We are commanded to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Not a suggestion, a commandment. You want to be heavenly effective? then be earthly relevant today. Then to be out working the kingdom today, to be giving to, be, to people, to working hard for people, to be generous and willing to share. Jackie, would you come, please? You know, to be rich in good deeds means really just to give your best, not to give what's left over. How many of us find ourselves if we're going to give to the Salvation Army, if we're going to give, we're going to give what's left over. We're going to give what I don't need anymore. Well, there's a place for that. I'm not saying that that's wrong. But when you're coming into the kingdom of God and if you're going to give God what's left over, what do you think you're going to get from God? What's left over. <laughs> I mean, don't expect him to give you the, the, the riches of heaven if you're giving him your junk. Right? Right? I mean, it's a pretty simple equation here. You want the good from God, then you've got to give God the good of you and all that you have. And, and it's not that you can give your good is going to match his good. His good will so outmatch yours, it's amazing. And not even, it's, it's not even comparable trade. Dr. David Jeremiah said this in his book, Living with a Confidence in a Chaotic World. He says that until Jesus comes back again to rapture us away or until our own individual lives are over, we as believers are to be busy in the interim period 
doing kingdom business, our hands busy with the earth, and our hearts occupied with heaven. Such great words, such great wisdom. You know what? One point of hope. God's economy system is so cool because I don't have to do the greatest thing to be seen by everybody to get a great reward in heaven. I just have to do that little thing that God has placed in my heart. I just need to be obedient to do what he's putting on my heart to do this moment, this relevant moment, and God will record that, store it away for us. We'll forget all about it. And we get to heaven someday, and he says, Mike, do you remember that? I says, no, I really don't. He says, well, I remember it. And here it is, and I'm going to replay it for you because I want you to know what I'm blessing you for. And you don't have to be Billy Graham. Just be yourself. Just be yourself. And know that he's got it all taken care of for us. The last word, the only word I didn't think about is the word through. Heavenly effective through earthly relevance. Through is a connecting word that connects the previous words with the latter words. And in this consideration, through means through is a consequence. In other words, the consequence of living a life of earthly relevance or irrelevance will be felt eternally in heaven or in hell through your living through your daily activities. We're all given a choice this morning. But we're all choosing the things that we do today. Are we making the best choices? Can I ask you, can I challenge you this morning? Are you making the best choices with the few minutes that we have in this earth that we will be recorded and rewarded or punished for eternally? have to say it that way. I challenge you this morning. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we just come to you today. Lord, we come to the altar today. And we come with hearts that are just overflowing with gratitude for your mercy and your grace. Thanksgiving that you truly are so merciful that you've even called my name, that you even know who I am, and that you'll give me a second chance and a third chance, and maybe even more. So, Father, I just want you to know right now that I'm choosing you back. I really am. My heart's cry is that I want to choose you back. You've chosen me. I'm choosing you. And together now we have relationship. And, Father, I want my eternity to be effective. So, Lord, help my earthly time here to be relevant. Help my time on this earth that is really very, very, very short compared to the time of eternity. Help it to be effective and relevant here so that I can have that effectiveness and relevance in heaven. Challenge us today with God. Are we truly making the right choices? Are we truly putting our efforts and time into the right things? Holy Spirit, I ask you and I give you the authority to challenge me and everyone in this building today. Challenge us convict us, lead us, direct us, and then help us. Help us to do the things that are pleasing now and pleasing then. 
In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I will just say one thing that I heard Billy Graham say one time that no man has ever regretted a decision for Christ. No man has ever regretted making a decision for Christ. And let me just add to that there will be lots of people that will regret a rejection of Christ. You reject Christ, you may think you're okay today, 
But let me tell you, there's coming a day where you will regret that. And so as we go today, I just want to leave you with this. If you haven't accepted Christ, and if you want to receive Jesus, now is a good time to do that. The altars are open right now. And if you need to make your dedication a little bit more solid, maybe you've never done it in the past, or maybe you have and you've walked away a little bit, and you need that assurance one more time that you have a right relationship with Jesus, today is the day. And I want to give you an opportunity right now. We're going to sing this course one more time, and if you just want to come down and say, Lord, I want to recommit my life to you, I want to make sure, and I don't want to have any regrets in my life, now or forever. In Jesus' name. Jackie, let's just sing the chorus one more time. The altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar, the Father, thank you for this day. Lord, I pray blessing on us as we go to our homes today. Thank you, Father, for your assurance. Help us, Lord, to truly know what it means to be earthly relevant, to be heavenly effective. God, I pray that this message will just resonate with us throughout this day, throughout this week. I pray blessings now on your children as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed this morning.